The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Siraj Raval, who's the director of the School of AI, YouTube celeb, and best-selling author of Decentralized Applications. Hi, Siraj. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, welcome, Siraj, and thanks for joining us today. So we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what the School of AI is all about. Sure thing. So for my undergrad years, I studied computer science at Columbia University. But after that, I kind of did some self-studying for a couple of years. That's when I wrote the Decentralized Applications book. But what I've been doing basically for the past couple of years is just really immersing myself in both blockchain technology and in artificial intelligence specifically. I would say that pretty much everything that I've learned has been self-taught using the internet. The internet is our new university. I don't hold any formal degrees. I have no PhD. I have no master's. But yet I teach 330,000 developers how to implement AI technologies and blockchain technologies on YouTube. And I've been doing that. I did a deep learning course with Udacity. And now I've started what, what I call the School of AI. And so what the School of AI is, is just taking that, what I've been doing on YouTube to the next level. So offering developers a more comprehensive learning experience where it's not just a set of videos, but it's assignments, it's quizzes, it's graded projects, it's live streams, but really taking them in an end-to-end approach, a full stack approach from not knowing anything about a topic to mastering that topic. And right now, our first course is called Decentralized Applications. It's a 10-week course. And so far, the students have been very, very happy. Great. Great. So following up on that, you know, one of the things that obviously we've had a lot of podcasts with folks from MIT and Stanford and with folks at various different investor communities and a lot of implementers, and a lot of them talk a lot about data. Actually, we had an interesting podcast with MIT professor Luis Perez-Breva, who says that there's actually too much of a focus on data, but actually you have the opposite perspective. So tell us about this. Let's talk a little bit about data. So you mentioned that the focus needs to be on data for AI and not on tech or people. So what do you mean by that? So it's incredible if you think about it. In the past two years, 90% of the world's data was created. That's when people show these exponential curves and they say, like, we're living in the most exciting time in history. That's the real data point that they're pointing to, that 90% of the world's data was created in the past two years. That's more than all of human history. So we're living in the most exciting time in human history right now. All of this data is currently collected and monetized by the services we know and use on the internet, Facebook, Amazon, Google, etc. And what happened is there's this free-to-use service model that's worked so far for the internet, where if you want to use a service, you can use it for free if you give them your data for free, right? So that's worked so far. And it's worked really well. These services have been able to scale up to millions and sometimes billions of users and provide quality service. But the problem is data is now so valuable because it's the natural resource. It's the fuel, it's the digital oil that these AI algorithms use. It's become so valuable that the people who control that data currently are capturing all of that value and it's not being shared with the general populace. There's been several things that have gone wrong because of this. One that's very recent is the delete Facebook fiasco where Facebook has been known to use this data in a way that 
is harmful to the user. They're using it to sell to third-party services without the user's consent. They've been using it to spy on users. A lot of bad things are coming out of this. And if you think about it, not just from a privacy and a security perspective, data is necessary to run any of these AI algorithms. So if you give a student somewhere in a developing country, you give them an algorithm, right? You give them, say, I don't know, a long, short-term memory network. This is a type of neural network that's very popular for reading from text and making predictions and generating text. Let's say you give them this algorithm and you give them the best education in the world around how this algorithm works. They're going to be able to know the ins and outs of this algorithm, no matter where they are. But the problem is that they don't have the data, right? The data belongs to Facebook and Google. And the only data source they have are these public data sets that are available on sites like Kaggle and sometimes on GitHub. But they're nowhere near the quality that the people behind these closed gates have. And that's what you really need to make these AI algorithms work to make them improve themselves, to make real improvements to the field, you need the data. And right now, if you look at the papers in the field of both AI and blockchain, mostly AI, you'll see that the real breakthroughs are coming from these central entities that have and control this data. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is part of the issue. I think a lot of the advancement that we're seeing with AI, not only in these cloud use cases, but of course, in a lot of the government implementation that we've been talking to has to do with centralization of data. And, and you know, you talk about it from the corporate cloud perspective, but there's a lot happening at the government level too. And if you talk to our colleagues, we did a very interesting podcast. We've had some briefings with folks out of China. And it's interesting how the Chinese government is supporting AI, but mostly just by having just a sheer quantity of data, especially in terms of surveillance and other information that's providing their systems an interesting competitive advantage if you want to look at it that way. Of course, we have the constitution and other things that protects individuals from that sort of privacy. But what do you think about that kind of data, the pervasiveness of information that's out there, whether or not you have any interest in participating in it? So you're talking about government data specifically or the access the government has to data? Yes, and yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one example of It's quite a complicated issue. So one example of this is GDPR. So for those not familiar, GDPR is a regulation that is within the European Union that asks people who are doing any kind of business, any kind of company or entity that's doing business in Europe, they have to let their users know that they're using their data. So from a privacy and from a security standpoint, this is a good thing, right? This is a good thing for the users, right? They know if and when their data is being used for any kind of purpose. But if you think about it, China, for example, right? So I'm very bullish on China in general their AI scene, and I think it's going to grow more and more over the coming years. So Tencent, Alibaba, these big players in the field, they don't have to do that, right? They don't have to tell the users when and if and how they're collecting their data. They just do it. And so the way the model is currently, that is benefiting them. It's actually harming the European Union um, in terms of having their researchers for these companies be able to make advances in AI because they, some of the users are going to say no, right? They're going to say, no, I don't want to give you my data for free. But these Chinese companies, they don't have to do that. And so they're going to make big advances in that field. What do I think is a solution? Well, it's going to be something that is a mix of both where the users are asked whether or not they're using the data. And not only that, if they give away their data, they're getting paid for it. In some way, they're getting monetized. Data demonetization is democratized to the users, not just the companies. So there needs to be some kind of middle ground there where the users are being asked for their data. They know how it's being used. And if they want to give it away, they're getting paid for that in some way. They're getting incentivized through some extra service, through some money, whatever, what have you. Great. 
So blockchain and AI are two very hot topics right now. And we, in our last podcast, had talked about blockchain and AI in our newsletter as well. Is this double the hype or are these double the value? So what are some ways in which you see these two technologies working together? One great example is self-driving cars or is the idea of a self-driving car network. So if you think about self-driving cars right now, it's not in production, but probably next year and a year after that, we're going to start seeing commercialization of these machines, at least in California to start off with. And if you think about a network, say, of, say, 10 self-driving cars, right? Let's say we have 10 self-driving cars. There are a fleet of these autonomous taxis. People can call them from their phones, just like they do with Ubers. These cars should be able to coordinate with each other, right? They should be able to talk to each other to say, well, I'm in this part of the city. Don't come here. Or you're in that part, but you need help. Okay, I'll come there. Or, you know, I've learned how to better drive in this area. Here's what I just learned from this very unique incident. Here, I want to share this knowledge with the other self-driving cars. So if you think about these self-driving cars, they have to communicate with each other. They have to cooperate together. So the most efficient way for this data to travel between these cars is to not have that data go across the country or even across the world in some cases, but directly between these cars. So the model for this is called peer-to-peer, right? Each of these cars is a peer in a network and they're communicating with each other directly. How do we do this? Well, it turns out that blockchain is the best, most provable peer-to-peer system out there where we can have data not just stored on the blockchain, but pointing to data that's stored on these self-driving cars themselves. And these cars are communicating with each other. They're using blockchain as the medium to do that. And AI is the algorithm that's running locally on the car. So in terms of a network, think when I talk about blockchains and AI, they're really the same thing. They're really just tools for building what are essentially digital organisms, networks. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about, and this might get a little meta, but they talk about how they had a very amazing psychedelic experience where they realized that everything is just layers and layers and layers of networks or graphs. So like, you know, atoms connected molecules, molecules make up skin, skin makes up people, da, 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 da. people make up communities. If you think about these digital organisms as another layer on top of the human layer, where blockchains can just act as the coordination layer. It's like a nervous system where, and then AI is the data that's flowing through the nerves. And it lets these entities become more autonomous to let them live on the internet instead of being controlled and maintained by humans. So self-driving cars that can not only drive themselves, but they can repair themselves. They can pay for their own expenses. They can upgrade themselves. They can make decisions about how the network should be run. It's just a way to get to more autonomous, really living entities on the internet. So a blockchain is just a part of AI. It's really just another tool in the AI tool set to make systems that are more dependable. Okay. Yeah, you know, we had actually talked about this in our last podcast as well with blockchain and AI and saying that blockchain may be able to help with the explainability aspect around AI, in particular with the Uber self-driving car. Right now, we don't really have a reason to why it happened. We don't have a good reason why. So we don't have a good reason as to why it happened. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that blockchain can help with explainability in AI? For sure. So, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, blockchain is used for drugs and for things that are illegal. And that's true. It is. But the only reason for that is because it's just instant transfer. And a lot of these people think that it's like some kind of anonymous system. But it turns out like everybody who is doing this stuff is getting caught, right? So the the founder of Silk Road, there's 
you know, a lot of these takedowns have happened. The IRS now requires all crypto transactions to be reported, and they will be. And they're finding out ways to do this because it turns out that it's the least anonymous money transfer system there is. There's a public ledger. So if you think about this public ledger that's verifiable and not controlled by any entity, if you're storing any kind of action on this public ledger, so you can think of a transaction as an action. That action could be to, you know, vote for something or to, I don't know, make some kind of decision. All of that is stored in a way that you can see here are the actions that this person or representative or whatever made or car made or engineer made or whoever made. And as long as the public or the users of the app vote or require or decide that, hey, we want every action that's in this network or app to be public, it will be. And it will be on a blockchain. No one can alter it. And it would be more explainable. Right now, what happened with Uber, that data, the error log for that is stored on a local machine in the car. Maybe it's in a server, like in the Uber data center, and some engineers are reviewing it now, but it's not public. And my guess is that if it was public, we'd come to a solution faster, you know, with the whole open source movement. That's generally things move faster in that way, in terms of bug fixing, especially if there's a lot of attention thrown at some bug, like it is in this case. So yeah, blockchain definitely would provide more transparency in the Uber case. Okay, great. Yeah, that's what we think as well. So we're interested to see where this goes and how it evolves. Yeah. All right. So I know that there's been a lot of talk, you know, about disaster and doomsdays that's attributable to AI. Do you think that the possible disaster scenarios are overblown? Or do you think that folks like Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, and Bill Gates do actually have a point? Yeah, no, they do have a point. I mean, I understand Elon when he says this thing, because what he's trying to do is kind of overshoot the fear to a million, because that's just what's necessary to get it into the mainstream. So if you think about the way Elon thinks, it's a very first principles approach, right? He tries to break down things to to their bear, the skeleton of why, and then move up from there, up the hierarchy of these ideas. And if you think about it, when it comes to the news, for example, why do people consume news? What is interesting to the news? Things that are negative things that are fear-mongering, it tends to be more popular. And so this is an idea that evil AI could be real. Yes, it is a possibility, but when will the public actually listen to it? Well, you've got to have some public figure who says it and says it in a convincing way and says it such that it's really, it seems like it will happen. And only in that way will all these news and media outlets spread the message, right? So do I think that evil AI can happen? Of course. But What it comes down to is faith. This is the faith part. I have faith in people, in humanity, that we won't let that happen because we'll democratize access to it. We'll make sure everybody has access to it. We'll make these systems transparent. We'll learn from our mistakes. We won't self-implode. And we'll get to a more utopian, not dystopian future by using AI not to destroy ourselves, but to solve problems that would take us, say, 10,000 years to solve in 30 seconds. Sounds good. So we often talk about how automation is not intelligence, at least not on its own. And also we talk about, in some ways, how machine learning is not always AI, even. We had that interesting podcast, as I mentioned before, with MIT professor Luis Perez Breva. He made that point that a lot of what people are applying machine learning algorithms to, a lot of it's just straightforward statistics and probability, although you could say perhaps that's what all this really is. And so, you know, what do you think about about where we are with AI hype and perhaps where we are with machine learning and automation? And are people properly using those terms? Are we misidentifying them? Are we overstating them? Just kind of interesting to see where we are in terms of the market around these terms. Yeah, I do think that there is sometimes, there is some, like a lot of news media outlets will overhype a certain bad thing that happened. Like let's say with Facebook, 
there were two AI that were talking to each other and they invented their own language, you know, et cetera. And, it, and Facebook had to shut it down. That's not, that's, it's not like that. It's not like they were actually communicating and they were saying useful things to each other. No, they invented some set of patterns that each of them recognized because all of this stuff is pattern recognition. So they invented some pattern and then you know, these AIs are just input output machines where, oh, this is the input I expect, true versus false. It's like a Boolean slash binary output. It's not like they were planning something or something like that. And no, Facebook didn't shut them down because they were getting too smart. They shut them down because it was not giving up them the output that they were expecting. It was just the wrong output. So I do think that there is a lot of misunderstanding around this technology. I mean, this is why I do what I do. I think education is the way to get past that, um, publicly available education. And yeah, I mean, the more educated we are as a populace, the more we spread AI awareness, the less likely this sort of thing will happen. And then that's a good thing because then if there's a real threat, then the public can be informed and know that, hey, this is a real thing. We should talk about it and here's how to stop it. Okay. So as a final note to our listeners, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to corporations and beyond? Right. So so there's this great show I used to watch called Mad Men where, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but... Oh, yeah. yeah, we have. The, we like it a lot. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, Don Draper, he comes into the room. He has this great idea about how to run the SAD. He runs it by everyone. They love it. He's a hero. Da, da, da. That's just not how it happens anymore. It might have worked in the 50s. Right now, if you want to make a decision for your company, it's got to be data-driven. If you don't have the data, then you don't have anything, right? The data is what matters. And if you have the data, if you know how to understand and analyze that data, then and only then can you have a really convincing argument or proposal to your team and say, here's why I think we should do this. And the way to do that is to use AI. AI is able to read and analyze hundreds, if not thousands, or millions of data points in the way that no single human could and give you insights that no single human could or even teams of humans. So if you want to study how your company is succeeding or how they're failing or ways to improve it, there's AI. If you want to build an application where you have some idea or some service exists, but AI is not applied to it, that's a perfect idea for a startup. Right now, if you think of any existing service, anything really, and that's not one of the you know big companies like Facebook or Google, if you think of any service, you can use AI to improve it in some way. And some of these companies would implement that as a feature. But what you can do is you can focus on a single niche category. If you want to start a startup, for example, instead of making horizontal products, you can make a vertical product, focus on one single niche category and do really well with AI. So a lot of starts are being bought out by these big companies. It's a great exit strategy if you do one thing with AI really, really well. So when it comes to analyzing your team's past performance, building applications for the future, and one in particular that I'm really interested in is combining blockchains and AIs together to enable new types of applications that were not possible before. One, for example, would be a decentralized social network. I think everybody in the tech community at large and developers want there to be an alternative to Facebook. And if you do it the right way, and that's using blockchain and AI technology together, then you can build something that's really useful and could scale just as much as Facebook did. But this is meant for 2018 and beyond. So there's a lot of applications for combining these two technologies together as well. Yeah, I oh, think everybody, fun. period, wants an alternative to Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah right. not just yeah. technology people. I think everybody, period. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. at an interesting point. I think in the evolution of technology, I think you know people have really glamorized Silicon Valley and technology, and you know using Silicon Valley in the general 
sense, not necessarily even the physical sense here for a while. Right. And I think, you know, we're at an interesting point now where people are really thinking about the relationship people have to technology, the relationship they have to data, the relationship they have to privacy. And mm-hmm. I think everything is kind of just coming together now. And it's going to be interesting to see how the industry as a whole responds. You can already tell, you can see how some of these CEOs and that were used to be startup founders have thought about things they probably never really thought about before. So it's going to be interesting. For sure. To see that. So thank you very much. We really appreciate you joining us on this podcast. And we really thank you for being here. And you know, one of the great things for those of you that are not familiar with the Siraj Raval's YouTube videos, that you should definitely take a look at them. They're really great, not only informative and useful to, to, to learn, but they're pretty entertaining. And you know, some of them even have some great rap videos. And I've seen a few of the talks where you've given <laughs> a little bit of an impromptu rap at the yeah. end. So I want to thank you here. And hey, it wouldn't be opposed to it if yeah. you want to give us a final little rap on the way out of this one, too. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I'll just spit a freestyle. Here we go. So I'm on AI today. I like it. It's not just okay. It's better than that. Anyway, let me tell you something else. Can't you see? It's NSC. Anyway, I'm in a staircase right now. So that's how it is. Anyway. Yeah. So basically what you said is correct. The YouTube channel is my life's work and I would love it if any and all your viewers subscribe to my channel. Yeah. And listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. We'll also post a link to the School of AI YouTube channel so that you can all check it out. We really do enjoy the videos. There are some great educational videos and like we said, rap videos as well. So I know you'll definitely like them. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you at the next podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI Today for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2018 by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.